Welcome to Practice Care with Carl White, the podcast where we help practice owners in healthcare know just enough about the business side to make good business decisions and keep their practices independent. Now our host, Carl. Imagine you just got a one-star review, a really, really bad one. It's detailed, it's scathing, it's long, and it's specific. And you know, you know, it's inaccurate, but you also know it's damaging and you can't respond online if you own a private practice because you'd be crossing a HIPAA line. At least you can't respond the way you'd like to online, but it feels like defamation. It feels like you want to fight back. You're so angry. And in that moment, you start asking yourself, what can you do? Well, I'm going to talk about that with some options with my guest today on Practice Care. I'm Carl White. I'm principal at a healthcare marketing agency called Market Advisory Group. And I'm also the host of Practice Care, which is simplified advice, bite-sized advice for the business side of your practice. And today my guest is Steve Barron. Steve is a founding member of Barron Harris Healy, a law firm focused on media and First Amendment, which is what we're going to talk about today, advertising and marketing, intellectual property, and a few other areas. For more than 30 years, Steve has counseled businesses on intellectual property matters and helped clients resolve complex commercial disputes. He's also counseled and represented clients in defamation and privacy matters, both in and out of court. Steve, this is a really important topic. Thanks for coming on Practice Care and helping us understand it a bit. Carl, my pleasure to be here. Thanks for uh, creating this forum and uh, giving me a chance to talk about the issues that uh, circle around this topic. Yeah. So defamation, you know, it strikes me, it's one of those words that kind of gets thrown around, thrown around casually, at least in anger, but there is a legal version of that word, a legal standard. Before we get into that, can you give us like a client example, kind of help us start to wrap our heads around maybe an example you've gone through where defamation was at stake and, you know, kind of how it played out? Sure, sure. So I'm going to give two caveats at the outset, just so that the listeners understand kind of who I am and what I do. And most of the time, I'm representing publishers and I'm defending defamation cases. So I'm on that side of the aisle, typically, not 100%, but typically. Okay. And the second thing is I'm an Illinois lawyer. So the stories and the law that I'm going to be referring to are basically grounded principally in Illinois law. And while defamation as a concept cuts across the entire country, all of the U.S., it's not governed by federal law, it's governed by state law, and there are some nuances from state to state. So that's my little legal disclaimer as we approach the topic. But back to your question, an example or two of uh, a real-life example. So not surprisingly, uh, you know, physicians and other healthcare providers do occasionally find themselves in the position you describe. And we handled a case years ago. I was involved in the case, again, on the defense side, not on behalf of the patient. We were actually representing a television news station that had uh, run a story about a healthcare provider, a physician who had been taken aback by negative reviews that were being posted by some of his patients and the doctor wound up suing and suing the patients for defamation. Even before that, the doctor filed various petitions in court to learn the identity of the patients. Wow. Because, you know, many times people post online, they do it anonymously or in a fashion where you don't really know who they are. And so the first step was for this physician to actually try to find out who they were, 
He was able to do that in a handful of cases, and then he would file suits for defamation. We got involved because our client, a news station, had run a story about this whole situation about the doctor doing this and ultimately suing patients. And that was kind of the news piece here is that, hey, people, you may not be anonymous online. Look look at what happened here. And then Uh. the news station wound up getting sued for defamation by the physician. Anyway, I learned a lot about sort of what happens to physicians, even though I was on the other side of that aisle. And I, and I know that it's a very challenging situation to be in when uh, patients, people you provide care to are unhappy and they take it out in a public forum, which is now clearly available to us for better or worse, readily available to people to express their views about how they've been treated. And in the old days, you know, you maybe had a whispering campaign where you told your neighbor, your friend, your mother, your father, now you can go online and publish it to the world at large on forums that allow other people that you have no idea who they are to see. So that makes it a lot more challenging, potentially toxic, and ultimately a real issue for providers like uh, physicians. Anyway, in the case that I'm describing to you, there was embittered litigation. It, uh, like many civil cases, went on a long time and ultimately settled before we got to a trial, but we were getting pretty close to it. And I think that uh, everybody learned a lot about the challenges of that. So I think one thing I learned is if you're in that position as a physician, you have to think very long and hard about taking legal action because, you know, in the case I'm describing, the public relations outflow is even worse, right? Because suddenly this doctor is kind of flying below the radar. And the next thing you know, he's, he's part of a, a news story about it. So you have to be very, I think, tread lightly about, you know, how you want to pursue claims here. I think that's the lesson that I learned. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And it's one of the things that I was thinking about getting ready for our episode here is there's stages of escalation, I guess is one way to put it. And, you know, trying to have something declare it as defamation in a legal sense is maybe that's the top of the ladder. So what is defamation then? Yeah, and that's a, from that's a, a legal, good like the legal standard. Like you've a got jumping a case off there. point, right? In yeah. terms of what is it really? Because people throw that around. They also use a synonym called libel or libel and slander. Mm. In olden times, libel was something that was written, slander was spoken. And now, uh, at least in Illinois, those, those collapse into one word, and that's defamation. So that okay. covers both oral and written statements. But Uh, To your point and your question, here are the elements. Lawyers like to talk about the elements or, you know, if you were to think about it as a checkbox, here are the things that a a plaintiff, a doctor would have to prove if uh, the doctor was going to pursue a claim of defamation. Number one, that the speaker, in this case, let's say the defendant patient made a false statement of fact about the doctor. That's number one. Number two, that there was no privilege, legal privilege for that statement. In other words, the patient wasn't saying it in a courtroom or in some other setting where there might be a uh, privilege and that publication has to be to a third party. So by way of example, if Carl, you're the physician and I'm the patient and I come into you and I'm sitting in your examining room and I say to you face to face, doctor, you're a hack you cut me up and now, you know, I'm injured for life. Okay. Even if that's utterly false, I haven't published that to a third person. I've only said it to you. Okay. That's not defamation. But if I go out to a third person and I say those things and they're false, that's defamation, right? Okay. 
I have to say those statements, this is the third element, with at least some level of negligence, lack of care, and there has to be some damage to the doctor, in this case, our plaintiff, right? So a false statement of fact made to a third party that's an unpublished or unprivileged, I should say, publication, some level of negligence and damage. So that's it. Those are the elements of defamation. There's another nuance I wanted to address, and that is Illinois recognizes something that we call defamation per se. This is kind of a subcategory of defamation where the statements themselves are presumed to be so harmful that the plaintiff doesn't have to show any kind of damage and can still win a case. So what are those types of statements that fall into this category of defamation per se? When you accuse somebody of committing a crime, when you accuse them of having a loathsome communicable disease, when you accuse somebody of perform- lacking ability or uh, integrity in performing their duties of employment, when you attribute the lack of ability or otherwise harm a plaintiff in his or her profession, and finally, if you accuse a plaintiff of engaging in adultery or fornication. So in the area of providing health care, it's usually probably the, the third and the fourth elements. When you indicate that plaintiff, in this case, a doctor is unable to perform or lacks integrity in performing his or her employment, or you attribute to a physician the lack of ability or otherwise harm the plaintiff in his or her profession. Those are the two kind of per se yeah. categories that most fit this kind of a situation where you get a bad review, right? Mm-hmm. And you might say, well, what's the problem? I mean, you know, well, why do I want to be in that category per se? And the answer is that uh, relieving you of the burden of showing damage is important because it's very hard to show damage in defamation cases, right? Yeah. How do you actually quantify, you quantify that? Yes. <laughs> you know, the harm that you've experienced? Yeah. And that's why a lot of plaintiffs like to try to pigeonhole their case into one of those per se categories. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we're talking about negative reviews, you know, you usually can. But I will say just to sort of finish on this point that, you know, review sites are meant to provide the public with uh, some sensibility of how other people have interacted with a professional, right? And it's perfectly okay to express an opinion. You know, I really love Dr. Jones. You know, she was so caring and thoughtful to me. All right. Well, that's, you know, Number one, that's a nice review and is not going to lead to any sort of defamation, but it's also an opinion. So if we turn that around, right, and say it the other way, I really, really dislike Dr. Jones. She was so uncaring and unthoughtful to me. Okay. Mm-hmm. Is that defamatory? Well, it's certainly, you know, not helpful to the doctor's reputation, but, you know, I think there's at least a pretty good argument there that uh, Dr. Jones would be, you know, the patient would be found to have made an opinion about Dr. Jones, and that would not be defamatory. You can express an opinion. Now, let's tweak it a little bit further, okay? Let's say Dr. Jones is a pediatrician, and a patient brought six-year-old daughter to see pediatrician, okay? And then the reviewer says, I brought my six-year-old daughter to see Dr. Jones, It was a horrible experience, okay? So far, an opinion. Mm -hmm. Dr. Jones was late to the appointment by 20 minutes, never apologized, 
was incredibly rude to my daughter, made her cry three times during the examination, and ultimately misdiagnosed her as having strep throat when in fact it was, you know, just a garden variety cold and put her on antibiotics. Now we have a series of facts, right? That are statements of fact about what happened in the examination room, which if false, again, if false, would be defamatory. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, one of the things that we do, and again, most of the time I'm on the defense side, is we're looking at these things from that, that sort of lens is, are there false statements of fact, or is this really just a pure opinion? Okay. And so a lot of times, you know, a doctor might be really upset about a negative review, justifiably, right? Because they're working hard. They're trying to treat their patients as best as they can. And then somebody writes something that's not particularly attractive about them. You know, the first thing we would do as lawyers is say, well, okay, look, you know, that's true. I mean, you know, you got a bad review, but this person is really just expressing an opinion. And you just kind of have to, you know, let that one lie. They start saying things about you that are completely false. Factually, that's when, you know, you take the analysis to another level. Okay. So that's sort of how I would approach a situation like this. Right. Does that make sense? It does. And, and it, you, you it raised a couple of questions, one of which you answered. And the other one, I think I'm just going to ask it just to make sure. You had said earlier on that one of the criteria was that I'm going to misremember the wording, but it's published like in a third party and independent source. So does Google count or Facebook count as examples sure. as that? And it does. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's a good, a really good question. And let's just uh, put a finer point on it. Okay. So if, you know, the patient in my example involving Dr. Jones says these things to Dr. Jones, that's not publication to a third party, it's publication to Dr. Jones, right? Right. But if that same patient goes to a review site, Yelp, Health Grades, wherever else online, and writes those things, that is publication to a third party. Okay. Okay. You don't have to show that a third party read it, you know, that that actual act of putting it up there on the internet is publication to the world at large, and that would qualify as publication. Right. Okay. And then the other question that you answered, which is, are people allowed to express their opinions online? They do it. And I'll be honest, I didn't really think too much about it until you started talking about it, but it's, yes, people are allowed to express. I mean, we know what people do. This is reviews all over the place. I mean, if they're not, then somebody would have found this, but is there a line to cross there when you're expressing your opinion? Yeah. I mean, and again, you know, it, this is the fodder for lawyers arguing in court about when something crosses that line from opinion, which is constitutionally protected speech, into potential false statements of fact, which may be considered defamatory. Mm-hmm. That line is not always bright. And so that's why. You know, a doctor who finds him or herself in that situation and is upset enough to want to think about legal action should obviously talk with a lawyer first and share or reviews that are the subject matter of, you know, the potential claim. Because a good lawyer will assess that from, you know, the sort of legal standpoint, because the first thing that will happen if a doctor actually chooses to file a lawsuit and we can talk about that in a minute, is the defense, you know, that's me usually, is is going to come in and say, well, you know, it's opinion. And I'm going to file what's called a motion to dismiss. I'm going to argue to the court that as a matter of law, even before you get into the discovery and the lawsuit and the investigative phase, 
that just on the words themselves, they are, they are not actionable. They are not defamatory because they're just expressing an opinion. And so I think you have to really look at, are they really saying something, you know, actually factual about my treatment or are they just expressing, you know, he was mean, he was ugly, <laughs> he right. was, you know, uh, not a nice person. People are allowed to have that level of flexibility in their expressions about an experience they had in life without have to, having to face a, a defamation lawsuit. Yeah. And as you're describing, or at least beginning to describe the process and what somebody could do, one of the first things I thought of was, you know, the damage is done. The damage has started the moment that review is posted. I mean, we're picking on a review, but it could be a lot of other things. But the moment it goes public, the damage begins and the damage seems to pile up faster than the recourse that could be had if you really said, you know what, I'm going to pursue the defamation path and I'm going to win that path that it's done, it's out there, you know, yeah. and, and it's going to we'll talk a second about, you know, does it always have to stay out there? I have an idea on that, but, but nevertheless, it's out there and it's going a lot faster. So, you know, what recourse, it's kind of a preamble, what recourse would, you know, Dr. Jones have in this case? And, you know, what kind of counsel do you have? Because I think I'm right about the speed of the pain versus the speed of the cure from a legal point of yes, view. Yes. And then, you know, I, what do you, from a legal point of view, what do you talk to clients about? I know you're typically on the other side, but so what recourse do they have if somebody really thinks that they were defamed online? Yeah. So I think that's a really good question. And I'll tell you, first of all, your insight is absolutely correct. The, the pace of the ability to publish and spread falsities far outpaces the ability of the law to catch up and protect the right. injured party. And just to put a finer point on that by example, you know, a typical defamation case that, you know, that goes from the filing of the lawsuit through, you know, up to or even through a trial in the circuit court of Cook County here in Chicago, you're talking at least two years. Okay. Oh. So, you know, this is not an accelerated process. Yeah. And so that's a challenge. Okay. Yeah. It's interesting to me that, so my question was, what recourse does someone have if they feel they've been defamed? And, you know, we talked about the pace of, of the case, not being able to keep up. And so it just said, because your answer was a lot about, you know, an alternative way to defend yourself that's faster. So right. yeah, that's faster than, so would you say that people should look at faster means than legal means or? Well, I would say you, case you, you should case you, you, or, yeah, fair question. I think you should explore both. Okay. But I think in terms of mitigating harm, if you think there is true harm from the mm -hmm. statement, I think you have to explore the technological way because the law is just not going to, you know, help you. And, and think about, you know, the law, even if you get to a verdict somewhere down the road, you know, two years in or more, mm -hmm. you know, by that time, you've already experienced a fair amount of harm you may ultimately, your reputation may be vindicated. You know, you can wave around your judgment. I'm not sure what you're going to do with that posted yeah. online and say, guess what? See, Remember I that won. bad review two yeah. years ago? See, I won the so case. All the people who didn't read it when it first came out, now you can read it again because I just right. pointed it out to you. Now you can read that I won. So you're going to understand right. the review, but not the legalese of the judgment that I just won. That's yeah, exactly right. <laughs> right. So, you know, it seems like a bit of a Pyrrhic victory. And then the other thing, of course, is that besides you know, being able to show a piece of paper that says you've been vindicated, you might win money damages. 
that's not a bad thing, right? Let's say you win $100,000 or a million dollars or whatever. But who have you won that against? And it's, we're not talking about General Motors here. You're talking about some patient of yours, right, who, who, who said yeah. something foolishly. Now, you know, maybe that patient has the money to pay a judgment, but who knows, right? You want to chase after some person to try to collect on your judgment. So, you know, I don't want to... <laughs> I don't want to completely minimize the possibility of uh, vindication and you know recovery in court, but you have to go in with your eyes open and understand what your objectives are. Yeah, I think you know if somebody came to me, if a physician came to me and said, "Look, here's what happened," and I thought there was some value, you know, uh, viability to the claim, probably I would start with saying, "Well, let's see if we can reach out to this person, right? Mm-hmm. Let's write a letter and say, hey, you know." Either the letter comes initially from the, the healthcare provider, come from the lawyer, but you know it's an invitation letter, right? Hey, you've said some things here. We dispute them. We think they're wrong. We think you're, you know, disparaging our reputation. But we'd like to have a conversation with you about this and see if we can, you know, make it right. We're always trying to learn about how we provide healthcare. We're trying to get better always at what we do, and uh, let's see if we can't, you know, right the ship and see yeah. if you can get anywhere informally. Yeah. You know, that doesn't work. Then the scary lawyer letter, you know, asking the, the publisher of the, the review to take it down or else yep. that's the next step. And then, of course, beyond that, there's the, you know, the actual filing of the lawsuit. Yeah. And there's one more thing, Carl, that I, I just want to express or at least explain to the listeners. And that is that, you know, a physician or healthcare provider may say, why can't I just sue Yelp or health grades? Yeah, and the answer question. is yeah. um, that there is presently a federal law, and it's been in place for many years now. It's called Section 230 of the 230 covers this too? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. Section 230 covers defamation. And just to remind listeners what that means and what it is, is that it's a federal law that's part of the Communications Decency Act that was meant to and has, to a large extent, protected internet service providers, conduits, who are publishing third-party material. It immunizes that publisher, in this case, Yelp or Health Grades, from liability for the content that comes into their systems and is you know, automatically published online, right. which they did not have a hand in creating. Right, because right. they say- Other, other than providing the- I'm Yelp. Content. I didn't write that review. I'm just showing it. Right, right. right. Yeah. And so Yelp and Health Grades and other internet service providers under the CDA, the Communications Decency Act, have immunity. So for better or worse, and there's certainly a lot of controversy about uh, this particular provision of the law, it immunizes these types of companies from that sort of exposure. Mm-hmm. And you know, makes it obviously challenging and hard for anybody to sue them for these kinds of claims. Right. Uh, that being said, if you file a petition for discovery and you serve it on Yelp, they still have to respond to that and provide you the information about who actually is posting mm-hmm. because your claim is really against that person, right? right. Or individual or whatever. And so, but, you know, I just, I wanted to, re- yeah. you know, clarify why it is that the big platforms have immunity here. Yeah. You know, just like the social media platforms have immunity. So yeah. uh, Facebook, uh, Instagram, yeah. et cetera. Yeah, which would just and, seem to add to the time, like the legal pathway. Yeah, for everybody listening, it just got a little longer, didn't it? At least if you're right. following along, because it could very well be that horrible one-star review is a fake name, 
And, Absolutely. You know, right. John Smith you know. doesn't exist and you can't sue John Smith. You got to go find out who John Smith really is. You got to find out who it is. You know, the other concern, probably less so in the medical field, but, you know, believe me, it happens in general commerce. Is it a competitor who is actually posing as a disgruntled customer or in the case of healthcare patient, mm -hmm. right? It happens, you know, it yeah. happens. And, uh, you know, I would probably say it would be very less common yeah. in healthcare for that to happen, yeah. but not, not well, out of the question. It, well, it's interesting. I wanted to, to make a few comments here about what recourse do you have? And I, I wrote down a couple of things. I like what you said about what if you contacted the patient and said, look, you know, we, we want to make it right, but we'd like you to understand that the comment that you put publicly is, it's, I'm not sure you're totally aware of the effect that it's having on us as a practice. And to try to make a case to see, can we work it out with you, hear you out, but would you mind taking it down? Because on most platforms, I can't speak to all of them, only the author of the review can remove it. So that's one recourse. And then you can try to escalate the way you described. What I talk to a lot of clients about, so the reputation defense firms you were talking about, I, the word that was coming to my mind was crisis management. And in prior part of my career, I worked with a couple of crisis management firms. It was mostly to get ready in case something bad might have happened. It never did but you're preparing for a crisis. And there's a lot that can go into crisis management, including, I suppose, the types of things that you described where there's more of a, you know, accentuate the positive, bury the negative. In this case, I think more bury the negative, but it's in a crisis, you know, situation. And you're trying to, you know, you're trying to match the speed with which the damage that bad review is happening is happening. What I talk to every client about, and I don't even talk about, you know, God forbid you ever get a bad review is, most of clients that I have today, when I start with them, they all fit a common description, which is they're clearly good at what they do because they've been around for a decade or so and they're getting clients or patients and they're getting referrals. But when you look at them online, they've got one or two reviews or a small number and they're old. And I just look at them and I say, look, the reputation that you're showing the world online does not come close to matching the one that you actually have. You really want to fix this. And What's germane about that for what we're talking about today is if you had one or two reviews, because you just let it happen, you know, nature took its course and you only had one or two reviews, and then you get a scathing, horrible one, like the one that we opened the episode with, a scathing episode that's one of, or a scathing review that's one of three makes anybody reading it, reading that, look at you and go, what's wrong with you, the practice? But instead, if you had 30 or 40 or a healthy number, and then you got a scathing, horrible one, it's still going to sting. But lots of readers are going to look at that and go, what's wrong with that reviewer? Look at all these other people who are saying nice things and nobody's perfect. And you still want to try to work it out and see if they can take it down and go through those pathways. But it's a totally different story. The context is completely changed. And so when I work with clients, I say, you should have more reviews. You know, this is the world today, and it's not just today. It's been this way for a while. Make the reputation that you show the world online match the one that you work so hard to build every day. And that way, there's no more mismatch. And I've never even said to somebody, and I still won't, because it just feels really negative. God forbid a horrible one comes in one day. You've now buttressed it with more of the full story, the real story, not fake. Don't go buy them. Get real reviews. We'll work together on how to do that. So that's one way. And that's what I work with everybody on. A, a third, a final thing to think about, and every platform is different, whether it's Google, Yelp, or Facebook is every one of them has terms of use when content is published. 
and they're different. So for example, on Google, so we had a client, former client, when they switched to us as their marketing agency, their old marketing agency got really mad and left them a bunch of fake one-star reviews, like all over the place all day. And so they were chasing them down and they were successfully arguing to Google, this is not an actual patient of ours. And only Google's terms say, look, you have to have been a customer of the business in order to be you know, allowed to leave a review. And so the reviews got taken down. So the message and different platforms have different standards, but you might be able to get it taken down. And now look, if it's a real patient, it's hard, but it's worth going into their terms of use and even contacting them to see if maybe there's a glimmer of hope where you can get it removed because it violated one of their terms of service. So it's really go on the offensive, properly broadcast the reputation that you really have, and then really try to work you know, with the patient who left you that offer review and appeal to them. You know, Would you please take it down? Can we work with you? And they either will or they won't, but at least you've tried. You know? Right. And I thank you for bringing up the, uh, the terms of use. I think that's a really good point and a good addendum because in my discussion about Section 230, it sort of sounded somewhat binary that the, the platform was never going to have exposure or liability, so they would never take action. But you've added to the point here, which is that, yes, sometimes the terms of use can be helpful. And you know, increasingly, large platforms like Google and others have ways of filing complaints where if you can demonstrate that you know, there is some fraud going on in the nature of the uh, review that they will take action. Yeah. That and, reviewer has you know, violated, we believe has violated your terms of use. Please right, take it down. Right. Yeah. Right. And that, you know, as you say, that would be particularly helpful if it's somebody who actually never saw the, the physician and this was just a, a smear campaign that was set up by somebody you know, right. creating fake reviews. So right. yeah, I think that's a, a really good addendum to make yeah. here. But for me, the message is, you know, go on the offense and get the positive out. The other thing that's just unfortunate is that the unhappy people find all sorts of time and energy to complain and the happies never think about it. So you've got to get proactive. You've got to ask them. There's different ways. We work with a lot of clients on doing that. And it's funny. It's just, you just got to figure out how to make it work operationally to fit the asking into an otherwise busy day, but it's always doable. And it's, trust me, it's always worth it. Man, Steve, we could spend hours on this, but I, it's an important topic. I know it's in the back of a lot of people's minds, whether they're in healthcare or otherwise, but just to kind of try to bring it home. One question I always ask is, is there anything you think that I should have asked you that our listeners need to know about this topic, but just didn't think to? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think we've had a good comprehensive, you know, okay. sort of very quick survey of the law. Final question is, if we take a step back from this, I'm going to ask it and then give part of the answer is, what are one or two tangible steps you think you know, a private practice owner or somebody who's interested in this could take the moment the episode is done. And the answer I'm going to give is, look, if you're in Illinois, I highly recommend you write Steve Barron's name down. We'll put all of his contact info in the show notes, because if this situation hits you, you are not going to be thinking clearly. And yet you're going to want to have somebody to talk to. So while the waters are calm, you know, talk to a few attorneys who specialize in this, get comfortable with one. And then you got the name. God forbid this ever happens to you. And you can make the call right in the moment and say, this is happening. What the hell do I do? You know, so for Illinois, I'm going to say, Steve, in your state, ask around, find somebody who's good, you know, have a chat with them, get comfortable because you're not going to be thinking clearly if this ever happens to you. 
So I gave you the first one. What's another one? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, well, I think the other one I, I want to reiterate is, is yours and the sort of ounce of prevention uh, piece, which is I like the idea of really being proactive about cultivating your online reputation with a number of good positive reviews so that if you get, you know, the occasional negative one, the impact of it is so much more minimized. Uh, you know, people are by nature sort of bell curvy. And so they're going to look at, they're going to throw out the, you know, the really horrible ones and the absolutely, you know, glowing, you know, beyond belief ones. And right. that's going to leave you with all these ones in the middle that are hopefully pretty good. Right. right. And the more of them there are, the better that, that that would be one thing. And then, you know, I think the other thing I would say is if this were to happen, take a deep breath, you know, it's reputational injury is very personal. And so the first thing, and you've, I think, intuited it by how you presented this is, you know, it gets to the core of who you are. And when you're talking about healthcare providers, physicians in particular, who've gone to school for, you know, gobs of years, incurred student loans and other kinds of right. you know, things, it's very, very personal. And so what I would say is take a deep breath. It's uh, highly unlikely that one person is going to be able to ruin you. And, you know, a lot of times the storm passes uh, quicker than you think uh, right. because people's attention spans and their ability to sort of you know, harness this stuff uh, comes and goes by, by virtue of the, the, the world we live in. So yeah. I guess maybe in a non-legal way, what I'm saying is take a bit of a chill pill, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, be ready. Be yeah. ready. And I, I like your idea of having proactive reviews out there and then having a lawyer that you can call in that moment so that you can get some good advice. Right. Right. Excellent. Steve, thank you so much. Once again, we're going to put your contact info in the show notes, but do you have a preferred way that or like the best way that somebody could, sure. could get a hold of you? I would say by phone or email, and I'll give you both of those now. My telephone to my office is 312-741-1027. Again, 312-741-1027. And my email, which is sbaron, as it's spelled B-A-S-B-A-R-O-N, at bhhlawfirm.com. B-H-H, Baron harris Healy. Perfect. Okay, excellent. Thank you again. And we're just about just a couple of points before we wrap up. So firstly, if you've had an experience that you think, or you either serve the you know, private practice owners, or you are a private practice owner, and you've had an experience on the business side, or you serve the business side, that you think others would benefit from, we really want you to come on Practice Care and share your wisdom with the world so that others can benefit from it. And on our Practice Care website, on the website page on Market Advisory Group, there's instructions on how to get yourself scheduled, tell us what your experience is, please do so, so that we can get you scheduled as soon as possible. And finally, if you haven't done so, please subscribe to Practice Care on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks very much. And until next time. Thank you for listening to Practice Care with Carl White. Make sure to subscribe and follow so you don't miss another episode. You can find our guest contact information in the show notes. Stay tuned for the next episode.